0: It's nearly 60 years since the Royal College of Physicians published its groundbreaking report, Smoking and Health, the first to outline to the public the dangers of smoking and make national recommendations to address the problem. Now, the RCP has published another signature report on tobacco, Smoking and Health 2021, looking at progress on tobacco control over the last six decades and what remains to be done to make the UK smoke free. Our guest on this special podcast is Professor Sanjay Agrawal, Professor of Respiratory Medicine at the University of Leicester, a consultant in respiratory medicine and the chair of the RCP's Tobacco Advisory Group. As chair of the group, Sanjay led the production of the recent report, which set out comprehensive recommendations for the English government as it works on its forthcoming national tobacco control plan. In this podcast, we'll look at some of those recommendations in detail. Sanjay, welcome to the podcast. Can I begin by asking how you came to be so interested in helping people to stop smoking?
1: Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it was it was uh, noticing that when I was doing my lung cancer clinic in the respiratory department, every week we'd have another ten people who were diagnosed with lung cancer, and it was a it was like a production line for years and years. And one one of these weeks, I'd Got to thinking well what are we going to do to stop this um, and as you know most lung cancers are associated with people who've been smoking for a long time and i asked the question what are we doing in hospital to help people quit smoking so that they don't develop lung cancer and other diseases 20 30 40 years later and i asked around and the answer was nothing we were doing nothing to help people to quit smoking and I found that very difficult to understand, actually, uh, and I felt that I really needed to start addressing this, um, and hence got interested in the field and tobacco control as a as a wider topic, but specifically treating tobacco dependency in the NHS.
0: As you say, it is a problem much wider than that, and as your as chair of the RCPs Tobacco Advisory Group, you're carrying on. A proud tradition for the RCP of lobbying the government on tobacco issues. So, what have been our major successes over the past sixty years?
1: So, I would say, as you mentioned in the introduction, the the initial report in the in the in nineteen sixty two outlined seven pillars of tobacco. What became the pillars of tobacco control policy worldwide, um, and they were fairly straightforward things like educating the public on the harms of tobacco, making tobacco less accessible, making it more expensive, treating tobacco dependency, protecting people from the harms of tobacco and limiting advertising and promotion. And pretty much they, those key things are part of the um, framework convention of tobacco control adopted by uh, the WHO Uh, and form part of the UK national policy. But over the last 60 years, we've also focused in on some other key areas uh, and exactly what you would expect the RCP to do with respect to um, the medical problems that arise from smoking and at-risk groups. So for instance, uh, in this past decade, we've published reports on smoking in mental health, where we know that smoking rates are two, three, four times higher with some mental health disorders than they are in the general population. We published reports on smoking and um, secondhand smoke for children and others, and the harms of this um, secondhand smoke. So we've we've done um, uh, those two key reports. And then more recently, we looked at e-cigarettes, which of course is very controversial for some, uh, but actually we've recognized the value of e-cigarettes in stopping people from smoking And preventing a whole host of tobacco related disease and our most recent report was a real in-depth look at smoking and the NHS's role in addressing smoking Uh, and that was our hiding in plain sight report um, that we uh, released in 2018 that looked at training for tobacco cessation it looked at the data we gather across the NHS um, on smoking and use of NHS services It looked at treatment models, um, commissioning models, smoke-free hospitals, a whole range of things across the entire NHS and things that we could address um, if we put our minds to it, if the funding was there and if we organised the NHS in that way. And I'm pleased to say many of the recommendations from that report have now become policy.
0: So as you say, lots of of work and lots of progress, especially perhaps in the last few decades, but smoking remains a problem. So why do we still, after all this time, need to do more?
1: So that's a a great question, Mike. And actually, you know, for those who don't know, there are 7 million people who still smoke across the UK. Um, That's more people than have asthma. That's more people than have diabetes. That's more than pretty much anything, actually, that is preventable and treatable. Um, So it it remains a big problem and one of the dangers when you look back at smoking prevalence whilst we've had a a dramatic drop in smoking rates over the past six decades, there's still an unacceptable number of people who are addicted to tobacco because of the nicotine um, who are going to unfortunately one in two of them are going to die from tobacco related disease. So I don't think we've broken the problem and if you were a cynic, you might even say there's be, this demonstrates the failure of tobacco um, tobacco control policy in that we haven't done more over the last six decades. If there were 7 million deaths from COVID each year for the last 10 years, it would be front and centre of policy. And unfortunately, it's not been with respect to tobacco control. Uh, and so we think it's important that we, we keep on pressing hard to make sure this preventable
0: addiction is addressed surprising in a way isn't it that uh, uh, you say it hasn't had that prominence and yet smoking has been very front of mind in in a lot of ways with with some of the measures that have been taken in banning smoking in in pubs and cafes and things like that and yet still it remains a problem
1: yeah and and you know let's let's be clear um the industry the tobacco industry is very very profitable Um, just in the UK um, we we know that they made over 800 billion pounds in profit in the past year Um, so it's in the interest of the tobacco industry to make sure people continue to smoke and encourage new smokers uh, to take it up So in some ways, perhaps it's not a surprise that policy has failed because um, we know that the industry pushes hard to make sure that the curbs on tobacco uptake and use um, have a minimal effect.
0: So let's turn to the new report, which does happily offer some, some suggestions for how we can make further progress, doesn't it? I'd like to take some of the recommendations and look at them in detail beginning with uh, the NHS, which you mentioned earlier, then we'll move on to taxation, restrictions on advertising and promotion in films, TV and other media, and health education. So firstly, the report recommends that the NHS should offer, and this is what you referred to at the start of the podcast, the NHS should offer smoking cessation to patients on an opt-out basis. Can you explain how this would work and why is it better than the current situation?
1: yep yeah. so at the moment, in fact before the NHS long term plan came into existence two years ago um there was n- there was there was no funding of smoking uh treatments in the NHS so you know my patients if they're admitted to hospital and they smoke um, there was no policy objective that meant that you would approach that patient and say look you, you you're addicted to tobacco there are some great treatments now uh we'd like to um Help you stop smoking altogether. We're going to prescribe these two medications. They will um, help you stop smoking altogether, and then the chances of you being admitted for this condition are going to be reduced. Um, so th- there's no such mechanism, which sounds a bit odd. Whereas if I came to hospital and I had pneumonia, I would just be treated for it. Or if I had a diabetic crisis, I would be treated for it. But with with tobacco uh, addiction it was it was just sort of almost ignored it was there it was you know and it, and people felt it wasn't their role so the the good news and then it wasn't the key thing is it wasn't funded in the nhs so ccgs didn't get money from nhs england to treat it so there was no funded um pharmacotherapy there were no tobacco dependency advisors and and things and smokers were admitted and carried on being admitted uh forever with these smoking related diseases the big difference um with the new funding is that all inpatients uh, will now be offered uh, stop smoking treatments for the first time, uh, together with the local government services when the patient's discharged from hospital. And that's fantastic news. And That's true of acute uh, trust, mental health trust and across the pregnancy pathways. But what it doesn't cover is the um, 90% of people who attend hospital in the outpatient department who smoke. So, for instance, my lung cancer clinic, those patients never come into the hospital. It's, an all, it's all outpatients, as are most specialized treatments. They're all outpatients. So this, this new funding doesn't cover that. And that seems unfair. Um, and similarly, we know that 90 percent of all NHS contacts are, in fact, in primary care. They're not in secondary care. Um, and so those patients are missing out on this NHS funded treatment. And so we don't think that's right, that you miss out over 90 percent of the population um, with smoking treatment because we know what a massive difference it will make. So our call was for patients who attend the NHS in any setting, primary care, community care, secondary care, are all offered a fair and equal
0: chance to help them quit smoking. And presumably that makes sense also because some of those patients will see their GP um, a, a lot earlier than they might come into hospital. So you may be able to help them at a much earlier earlier stage before they become ill as a result of their smoking habit.
1: Exactly. You know, Prevention is better than cure, right? So if, if somebody comes to the ED or goes and see their GP for you know some other um, issue in their 20s, wouldn't it be better if they stopped smoking at that point? than when they're in their 70s and 80s and these these uh, diseases are already established. So absolutely, we want people to be caught as early as possible in any NHS setting.
0: So we've known for a long time that increasing tobacco tax is one of the most effective means of reducing smoking uptake and promoting quitting. And the report has an astonishing figure, doesn't it, eradicating tobacco could inject up to £7 billion back into the pockets of smokers and their communities. Uh, could you, Sanjay, expand on how we could raise tobacco tax without this having an adverse effect on those with lower incomes?
1: Yeah, so there's, I'm going to split that into two questions. So the first is a £7 billion um, figure. So we know from the annual population survey uh, what people spend in terms of disposable, disposable income on, on, on things like cigarettes and the figure I think uh, the average is £23, although it's probably a little bit more than that uh, based on money coming into the, um, uh, the, the HMRC. Um, so the £7 billion, we know that of a, of a packet of cigarettes, um, over 80% of it uh, goes on um, duty uh, and other uh, uh, things and profit to the tobacco industry. Only about 7% stays with a shopkeeper in that community. And of course, they may be multinational, you know, supermarkets, whatever. Um, so the vast majority of the money that somebody spends on tobacco leaves their community. They never see it again. Um, and so, so we calculated that if all of the smokers today stopped, that £7 billion, it would not be spent on tobacco. And that money would be in the pockets of those people who were smokers and that money could be spent on their families, uh, in their communities um, and hopefully reduce the amount of deprivation that those communities see. Remember, there are about a million people who live in poverty due to the spending on tobacco and that includes a quarter of a million children. So that's the first thing, that's a £7 billion uh, figure. The second thing is, what about if if you tax cigarettes um, at a higher rate, Um, And people, we know that people who are poorer uh, tend to have higher prevalence of smoking. So so those poorer people, if you like, um, will be spending more on tobacco and therefore it becomes a regressive tax because the the poorest carries largest burden. However, we also know from the research um, in this report that actually those in the most deprived communities are the most price sensitive. So they're much more likely to quit. So actually it becomes a progressive tax because actually that the benefit will be to them if they quit smoking. So one of the key points we made in this report is whilst we increase taxes, we must also align tobacco dependency treatment services in these areas to give them the maximum chance of quitting so that this becomes a progressive tax and puts money back into people's pockets.
0: Otherwise, it can be unfair, can't it? If you have an addiction to smoking, you really would like to give up, but the addiction has got its grip of you, and you're being asked to pay more tax so that you can satisfy that addiction. Yeah,
1: and and that's why it's so important to have these treatment services aligned with the tax rise.
0: So, despite the bans on tobacco advertising on TV and radio, tobacco companies are finding loopholes aren't they um new ways to promote their products in films and increasingly on websites and social media so how can we stop that how can we stop them from doing that
1: yeah so this is a massive problem so you know we we live in a different age to the 1960s uh, and as you said you know we see tobacco imagery on netflix on uh, catch-up tv um, on video games music games um, so video games uh, music videos uh, and, and all sorts of platforms. Um, and these images uh, trigger uptake of smoking in young people who've never smoked before, uh, as well as causing relapse in those who have stopped, as well as perpetuating use in people who are current smokers. So it's a win-win for the tobacco company. So what can we do about it? Well, there's, there's a number of measures. Firstly, there's the Online, uh, online Harms Bill that is actually currently uh, about to... Uh, I think, go through. And uh, for instance, the online, uh, online harms bill is going to ban, uh, ban junk food advertisements before uh, nine o'clock and um, also with catch-up TV. So we would like to see a similar thing with tobacco. We would like to see, um, in fact, all tobacco imagery banned on social media platforms, um, in uh, music videos, gaming videos, etc. If that's not possible, um, or you know, obviously uh, with, that's with new material. With older material, in places like India, they actually put a, a a warning sign on the screen when tobacco imagery is being used. And there's no reason why we could not do that here. Um, so, and also before um, the screening of a film, for example, uh, there could be warnings about the tobacco imagery. So there are lots of things that we could do and in different countries they have done or to different um, uh, uh, harms such as uh, junk food that we're doing. So there's much more that we could do with tobacco um, as well.
0: It's, it, some of us will remember um, that uh, we used to have those give up smoking campaigns, didn't we? But it's been quite a long time since the government invested any significant money in those um. Those kind of stop smoking campaigns. And the report suggests, doesn't it, that we should restore that investment to at least twenty-three million pounds, which is what was spent in two thousand and eight. So what compa- what campaigns would you like to see and what effects can they have?
1: Yeah, so you know, mass media campaigns are really effective. So it's it's a large reach proposition so you get to lots of people who are watching tv or listening to the radio there are millions and millions so it's a it's a great way of of promoting a um, an activity or suggesting people don't do an activity Um, and it's relatively low cost for the number of people that you are reaching so it's a it's a high value low cost high reach proposition and we know from looking at mass media campaigns that they're really effective so we you know for instance the stoptober campaign that you might have seen might in october uh, promotes quit attempts in the month of october and we know it's triggered millions and millions of quit attempts um, sadly over the past eight or nine years the funding for these mass media campaigns has shrunk by over 90 percent And so we would like to see that funding restored and to make sure that it's locked in so that we don't have another situation where it's slashed again and that we have sustainable, durable mass media campaigns to drive quit attempts, to let people know where they can get treatment. And just an example, Mike, is that, you know, how many people know that there's a local government stop smoking service? Is that the first thing that you would think of if you were trying to quit smoking? I don't I don't know that it is and and so you need media campaigns to let people know i mean we've seen it with covid um with respect to media campaigns and 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 you know where to get t- tests
0: i think covid <laughs> kind of reminded us didn't, didn't it of, yeah. of the kind of campaigns we see not just on smoking but on other on other things which kind of have disappeared uh, presumably because of um the funding not being available anymore but yeah those big national public health campaigns used to be quite a fixture and, and now they're not even though there are lots of as you say creative ways of approaching this like Stoptober that um, social media offers us um, that we didn't have before.
1: Yeah so so you know and it, and it feels almost like a, a no-brainer you know you have these low-cost mechanisms of, of uh, triggering quit attempts let's use them let's use them effectively uh, rather than throwing money at the problem when, when the horse is bolted, when people have disease, let, let's try and stop that disease occurring to begin with. And mass media campaign seem a really straightforward, easy way in which to affect
0: behaviour. So final question. We talked a lot about um, the report's recommendations. How optimistic are you that they'll be accepted? And, and ultimately, how optimistic are you that we'll achieve a smoke-free UK?
1: So with the 2018 report, Hiding in Plain Sight, pretty much all the key recommendations in the end have been accepted or enacted in some way or other. So therefore, I would hope uh, that we have a reasonable chance of succeeding in, in some of the recommendations in the new report. As is the case with these things, it sometimes takes a few years for them to uh, be taken up um, but that doesn't mean they won't be. Um, so so I'm reasonably optimistic and, and we've had meetings behind the scenes with, with key people um, who are decision makers uh, across government, across public health. So we'll wait and see. The, the new tobacco control plan coming out this year will hopefully uh, pick up on some of our recommendations and uh, incorporate them. Um, so I'm hopeful it, it is a short answer there. Um, And whether we have a smoke-free generation, which refers to smoking prevalence of less than 5% by 2030, um, I think that at the moment that seems pretty unlikely. Some of the modelling that we did uh, for this report shows that actually we're not going to achieve that until 2050 based on current measures uh, in the most deprived communities. There's a lot of work to do. However, if we... um, if we adopt the recommendations in our report, I think we can go a long way to achieving that.
0: Sanjay, thanks very much for talking us through the key highlights of the RCP's new report, Smoking and Health 2021, and uh, us talking about the key priorities for government action. The report is free to download from the RCP website, where you'll find its original predecessor, won't you, from 1962, and you'll find details of all of our work in this area. That's on the RCP website. Thanks again, Sanjay, and thanks very much for listening.